Well, amen and good morning. It's my pleasure to be able to be with you today. Uh, if you're new with us today, I am not the typical person that stands up in, up here and preaches. So if, you were, if you're the type of person that you pray with your eyes open just so you can always keep an eye out on what's happening, then you saw me up here moving this podium around during the prayer. Uh, I'm a little larger than the person that normally preaches up here in a lot of ways. And so, um, but I am grateful for the opportunity to fill in for Pastor Charlie as he and his family are uh, out doing vacation and they're in, I believe they're in Disneyland and Anaheim and just having a good time. And so it is my pleasure to be able to be with you today. As we begin, I want us to begin with a question for you to think about and to you kind of internalize. And so I want you to think about when was the last time you were so exhausted, just completely wiped out, that you didn't think you could go any further? When was the last time you'd just been going and going and going and you got to a point where you're like, I don't think I can go one more step? Now, hopefully, that wasn't like this morning. Like, maybe you're like, I don't even know how I made it in here. And maybe if that's you, well, by God's, to God's praise, you are here today. And by his mercy, you are here today. Uh, but for me, physically, there was a time recently where I became so exhausted. It was the most exhausted I had been in a long time. And there's a small handful of people that will be able to identify with me today. About two Fridays ago, our church received a shipment of 600 chairs that we're going to be using in the atrium. They came in stacks of 12. The stacks were uh, wrapped. And, but our responsibility as the church is they came shipped from Florida on a semi. But when they got here, they were supposed to bring them to the edge of the the trailer, and then we had our responsibility to get them off of the trailer with no ramp or no lift, so just somehow we were supposed to get these stacks of 12 chairs off the trailer and then off the trailer into the building. Now, I had done something like this before at the church I served at previously as we had bought and purchased, bought is not a word, as we had purchased chairs like this, they came stacked. And so I thought, okay, it won't be that bad. I get here, Bruce and our uh, Justin and Brent, who are part of our maintenance crew here, who are doing a wonderful job. They were already working. The chairs got here early, about two hours early. And so I got here and I thought, all right, let's get to work. Now the chairs were stacked, like I said, in 12, but they weren't stacked completely straight. There was a little bit of a bend to them. And for whatever reason, we took our chair dollies and we would put it in this way with the bend that way. And so we were kind of working against physics, which I'm not a physics major, but maybe you shouldn't work against physics, but we were for whatever reason. Now we did get smarter by the end, but that's another story, okay? And so we would lean them back. Wasn't too bad when you're outside, but then there's three doorways you'd have to go to. And so then as you get to the doorway, you kind of start doing a squat walk or maybe the limbo or something, but you're getting very low to get underneath those doors. I do my first stack of chairs, and I'm like, wow, that was easier nine years ago. Either those chairs were lighter then, or I'm in a lot worse shape than I was nine years ago. Did my second stack after a very little break, and after the second stack, I knew for sure 
that I don't know if the chairs were heavier or not, but I guarantee you I was in a lot worse shape than I was nine years ago. A lot of our staff was in Spain. They planned this trip so they didn't have to help with the chairs. And next time I will be signing up. I don't know where we're going, but when chairs are coming, I'm going to be out of the country, all right? And so I do three more stacks. We had 60 stacks of chairs. So I'm like, there's only five of us now. I can't just be like, I've done my two, I'm going home, Bruce, Brent, Justin, you guys keep doing this thing. And so I do three more stacks, so I'm up to five. More people are showing up, and after the fifth stack, I'm like, I know I'm only 38 years old, and Brent is almost 70 and still going, and I'm like, I'm going to have to take a little break. (laughs) So I sat on a bench, I kind of composed myself, take a little bit of water, swash around in my mouth. And then I go back outside, Pastor Charlie showed up. At this point, other people showed up, young people that are younger than 38 that have energy. Um, And so then I do one more because I'm like, I can't get these people that just got here can't think I'm just sitting around doing nothing. I can't be the big slothful guy that's just like, I'm cool. I'm just here to manage and supervise. So I did a six stack of chairs. And after that sixth stack of chairs, I was so exhausted. I hadn't felt this type of exhaustion since the end of like, if you played sports, you know, at the end of the beginning of a season and you're star, they're trying to get you in shape and you're running what we call them gassers. They're like 200 yard sprints at the end of practice. You might run 10 of them. And then you run to such a point that you thought if you ran one more, you're either going to be sick or go to the heart hospital. I don't know if I thought the heart hospital when I was in high school, but I definitely thought it this day. I was at the end of my rope. I couldn't go any further. I didn't do any more after the six. Eventually, we thought, let's just put these on their side and roll them on a four-way dolly. Genius. It was wonderful, all right? It was probably like the last three that we did that way, but those last three were genius that way. But I wonder here if there's anybody that you've felt that way. Maybe not physically, maybe physically, but maybe, you're, maybe today you feel like you're at the end of your rope. Maybe you are just weary from the everyday life. Listen, we live in a culture that never stops. It continues to go and go and go. Even if you are a person that stops, things are still going. So maybe you're weary from the everyday grind. Maybe you're here today and you're emotionally weary. Maybe you just have gotten bad news, or maybe things have just been really difficult for you, and you're just like, I'm just at the end of my rope emotionally. Maybe you're spiritually weary, and maybe you've added things to the gospel that you've placed on top of Christianity, and while we would preach against legalism, maybe there's things that you've added that you feel like you have to do, or you've overextended yourself because you're the type of person that says yes, and so then the church is like, we need someone to do this. Let's ask Steve, because Steve will say yes. And like, well, he already does 60 things. Like, well, he can do 61 if he wants to be a good Christian. Maybe you feel spiritually weary today. And if that's you, any, in any way, and maybe even a way I didn't even bring up, but you're like, I just feel weary. I feel tired. Then I believe the topic of today's sermon will be helpful to you. I believe the thing we learn about Jesus today will be helpful to us as we're looking for a solution 
for our weariness. And so we're going to continue in our greater series. We're going to be looking in Hebrews chapter 7 and chapter 8. If you'd like to turn in your Bible there with me. Chapter 7, chapter 8. And I believe as we study these passages, some of the burdens that you came in here with, I believe that the Lord, through his word and through his Holy Spirit, will be able to lift some of these off if you will just give them to him. So let's go ahead and stand as we honor and read God's word. We're going to read quite a few passages or quite a few verses today, so don't buckle your knees while I'm reading this. We don't want to have to pick you up. Verse 11 of chapter 7. Now, if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear, said to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of the law as well. For for the one these things are spoken about belong to a different tribe. No one from it has served at the altar. Now it is evident that our Lord came from Judah, and Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priest. And this becomes clearer if another priest like Melchizedek appears, who did not become a priest based on a legal regulation about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. For it has been testified, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So the previous command is annulled, because it was weak and unprofitable, for the law perfected nothing. But a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. Verse 20. None of this happened without an oath, for others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath made by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from, from remaining in office, but because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Now this, now the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that, has, that was set up by the Lord and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on the earth, he wouldn't be a priest since there are those offering the gifts prescribed by the law. These serve as a, as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle, for God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry. And to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been established 
on better promises. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your word. And God, as we have just read a lot of verses, God, these verses are chock full of truth that can be helpful and beneficial to each of us wherever we are today. God, I pray for the people that are weary in the room. The ones that have just weary from the everyday grind of life or maybe they just keep getting blow after blow. Pray that you would strengthen us today. Pray that you would show us a better way today as we read and study your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm gonna do something a little unique for myself today. I'm a pretty linear person, but I'm gonna actually start at the end, kind of the main idea, and then we're gonna go backwards and then we'll build back to that main idea and show how the text supports today's main idea. And, um, I really think the main idea is right there in chapter eight. And it's this, Jesus is the greater and better high priest. Jesus is the greater and better high priest. Now we've been in this series for, I believe this is probably week six of the greater series where we've been looking at different Old Testament people and see how their life may be pouring into Christ, but ultimately how Christ was the better of whatever person we were studying that week. And so I will admit that today's topic, the person we're studying today is not as flashy or as well known as maybe Adam or Moses or Isaac or Joseph or some of the other people that we've looked at. But I will, and even the person we're looking at today isn't necessarily one person specifically, but is instead it is a position within the nation of Israel. Now it's a very important position that I think we probably as people living in the year 2022 uh, in an evangelical church, and most of us have been raised in this in, in an evangelical church, or at least with those thoughts in mind, we probably don't have a proper understanding of how important, just how important this position was. But it was an important position. And I think for those of us that are seeking a lighter load, if you're like, man, I would love to be less weary. I would love to be less exhausted or just less just almost at the end of my rope. And I think understanding the high priest and understanding why Jesus is the greater and better high priest will be very beneficial for us. So let's, let's kind of just break this down from chapter eight. Now I love how chapter eight begins in verse one when he basically says, now the main point of what being said is this, all right? It doesn't get much clearer than that. Sometimes we have to interpret things but right here, the author of Hebrews basically is like, everything you've read previous, especially those verses right before, but even chapters before, I've been making this case, I've been building this case. The main point of what's being said is this, we have this kind of high priest. And I think this is important because sometimes when we communicate with people, we think we're communicating one thing and often maybe they don't understand or they don't receive what we're communicating accurately. And maybe either A, we're not a very good communicator, or B, maybe the person's not a very good listener, but no matter what, what is being said here, I love 
that he just begins, this is the point of what's being said. Then he goes on and says, we have this kind of high priest. So this high priest that he's been talking about, he's been building the case for, he's like, here's the point of it. We have this kind of high priest. Uh, verse 28 of 7 says, for the law points as high priest, men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Then he says, we have this kind of high priest. And then he makes a reference to Jesus when he says, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. This is, in the, this is pointing us to Jesus. He's not saying Jesus specifically, but he is pointing us to Jesus. Our high priest that we have now is Jesus. Jesus is not like the priest here on the earth. Jesus is now a priest who has ascended into heaven and he is a priest with God there and that's where he's ministering at. And then verse six says, but Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry and to that degree he is the mediator of a better covenant which has been established on better promises. And so as he kind of Finishes this section. If we went further into chat, or into eight seven, we would talk. We would see some teachings about the new covenant. But we're going to for our time. We're going to stop here today. And so Jesus is the greater and better high priest. And this is important to us. But you're like, yeah, but I still don't really get it. Like, what's the deal with a high priest? Well, I think let's first let's let's use this text to build the case. But let's first. Let's kind of understand what, what a high priest is, all right? And so if you want to turn back a page in your Bible, maybe to Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to read some verses from there in a second, which give us some clear language about the function of a priest. But I want to just talk briefly about the history of the priesthood within our faith. Now, I am by no means an expert in the priesthood, all right? I'd be curious for you, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of priest? Maybe you think of the little collar. Maybe you think of a confessional booth. Maybe you think of somebody on television. Maybe it's, I was thinking of The Simpsons. I never even watched The Simpsons that much, but I did do some research this week, not by watching The Simpsons, but by looking up their little pastor. But he's actually not a priest. He's just a regular pastor, so... I thought wrong. Uh, so maybe you, maybe there's somebody you think of. I also watch the TV show Blue Bloods, which is like the most blue-blooded American show you could ever watch. And there's a family in that show who's up in New York, and there he's the police commissioner, uh, and his family's all in there, and they're very strong Irish Catholics. And so there's always priests that are in that in that show. And so I can think of there's a kind of a main character that's a priest. That's something that comes to mind. Maybe for you, when you think of priest, you have negative feelings. Maybe you grew up with priest, and that's just maybe you, maybe you had a bad experience. Maybe you watched the Netflix documentary, The Keepers, when it came out a few years ago, and you're like, oh, goodness, this is horrible. But this priest language isn't something we really use within our context, right? We don't call Charlie a priest. We don't treat him as a priest. None of us on staff, we don't have a director of priesthood. That's not who we are because we believe that we are a congregation of priests. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. And so that's not something that we put on one single person that we, 
that that person is a priest. So it can be difficult for us. I, when I was assigned to this topic about six weeks ago, Charlie was like, hey, I'm going to be gone this day. I think you should, if you'll preach this day. I'm like, okay. I'm like, maybe I'll get like Moses or I'll get Joseph, like, you know, one of these really cool people. And he's like, I want you to do uh, why Jesus is the better high priest. And I'm like, huh? I bought three books. I bought three books to help me. Now, I only read half of one, okay? (laughs) I can get a little overzealous in my book buying, so if if you find my definition of the priesthood lacking, you can borrow one of my three books that I haven't read yet. Uh, But I also studied the scripture about what it had to say about priesthood. And so uh, we probably have some limitations here. The priesthood in in the Bible, in the study that I did do, a lot of scholars believe that priesthood is really around from the beginning of the narrative. Some people even would say that you you could consider that Adam, when he was in the Garden of Eden before sin, he had kingly duties, but he also had priestly duties. And so he had those type of responsibilities. Then scholars would also say that other uh, patriarchs like Abraham, and others would have priestly activities that they would do. They weren't necessarily priests, but they were doing priestly type things. And then, of course, with Moses, Moses had many activities that he served in a priestly-like way. And it was during his time that the priesthood was really instituted. Uh, in Exodus, we would read, I believe Exodus 25, we would read about when God set aside uh, Moses' brother Aaron and his descendants to be the, the high priest. And then later we would read uh, in Deuteronomy where then the entire tribe of Levi, the Levites, would become, uh, would become kind of priestly assistants. And so uh, that's kind of where we get this idea of the, Le- the Levitical priesthood. And so in one of the books I read, written by David Schrock, it says, The Levitical priesthood is the culmination of Yahweh calling Aaron and his sons to serve as priest, then adding priestly personnel from the house of Levi, the Levites, to strengthen the priestly arrangement. And then the Levitical priesthood began there, but then it continued throughout the rest of the rest of the Old Testament until the days of Jesus. And then as we're reading here, we know that when, when Hebrews is written in this audience of this book is after Christ has lived, died, and resurrected, and ascended. So the priesthood was something that was still happening. And while it wasn't always done right, they were trying to honor, sometimes they were trying to honor the original intent. And so we kind of have an idea of just, just the history of the priesthood. We also know that the Bible mentions other priests um, that weren't a part of the faith. And so this idea is around. But what did priests do? All right. What was their responsibilities? And that's where I believe Hebrews chapter 5 will be helpful to us. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since since he is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron was. So this is kind of just a brief summary of what a priest would do. So in verse 1, we see that priests, the high priests, they were mediators between the people and God. 
Now we know, if for those of us that have grown up in the faith and we know the biblical story, we know that God created Adam and Eve and they were in fellowship with God. But then what happened? Adam and Eve sinned and that fellowship was broken. And so from that point forward, there was a mediator that was needed between God and the people. And so the priest was serving as that mediator. They were also the keepers or the practitioners of the sacrificial system. So last week, as we talked about Moses, we talked about the sacrifice of the Passover, and we talked about how all of those things, what 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 led to all those things, then this is kind of the other side. The priests were the ones who were responsible for making the sacrifices. They were the ones that could go into certain places within within the the tabernacle or within uh, the the temple that just the common person couldn't go. They were the go-betweens. They were the mediators. Verse 4, we also learn that the high priest, they were born into this this service. It wasn't something they can just be like, you know what? I know I was born into the tribe of Benjamin or I was born into uh, the tribe of Judah, but I feel called to do this. I'm going to become a high priest. That's not typically how it worked. And so they were born into it. They were chosen by God. Aaron's line was chosen. And then they were just born into it that way. In verse 4, verse 2 and 3, we also see that these high priests, while they had a special job, they weren't special people. They didn't have special powers. They were just merely men who God had set aside and set apart. And yeah, they might have lived more righteous lives than the common person. But at the end of the day, no matter how righteous their life might have been, their righteousness still wasn't enough. They still fell short. And so they had to offer sacrifices for themselves before they could offer sacrifices for us. So the Levitical priesthood and the entire sacrificial system, it was instituted by God on purpose, for a purpose, but that purpose was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so, so glad that we don't still have to go to a high priest or we don't still have to get animals to make sacrifices, that the things have changed. And Jesus was that high priest. And as we're going to see here as we look further, Jesus is the high priest that we needed. And so let's look at this need for a new and different type of priest. Because we're going to see that while Jesus is a high priest, he's not... As the scripture says, he's not in the order of Aaron, but he's in a different order. And so I don't know about your house, but in my house, typically if something is working, we don't fix it, right? Like it may be hanging on just by like one little thread. You're like, that's still working. I can still use it. And so maybe you're rich and you live in a house and like you just change stuff every two days, but that's not how most people live, I don't think. And so if something's working, we typically don't replace it. And as we see here in verse 11 of chapter 7, I believe that the author here is making a case that the system was no longer working. And that is evidenced in that there is now a new system in place. So verse 11 says, Now if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear? And so my paraphrase of this is, if the Levitical system could do what we needed, then why did a new type of priest appear? 
It's a good question, right? If things were going well, then why did we have a new type of priest that appeared? And really, the Levitical system and its incompleteness and its inability to not, to not, um, to not do what we needed, it led us to this new type of priest, this new different priest that we needed. And so he talks about it here. It's a different type of priest, not according to the order of Aaron, but according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is an interesting fella. In my notes, I've titled him Mysterious Mel, but so far I haven't said his name wrong. And so I think I'm on five tries of saying Melchizedek right. There's number six. And you're like, no, you're actually saying it just a little bit wrong. It's this, well, when you preach, you can say it the way you want to say it. So that's what Charlie would say if he was here. (laughs) But there is a lot of mystery around this Melchizedek. He was introduced to us in Genesis chapter 14. Abraham meets him, and then Abraham thinks he's so important that he makes a tithe to him of 10% of everything that he had. If we were to look back and up a few verses in chapter 7 of Hebrews, verse 3, this is talking about Melchizedek. It says, Without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, But resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So Melchizedek, now I don't want us to get too bogged down on what we don't know about him. We also know that he's mentioned again in Psalm 110. He's mentioned as a prophecy about the coming Messiah, that he would be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So I don't want us to be so bogged down that we don't know about Melchizedek. Like, where did he come from? Where did he go? Cotton Eye Joe, all right? That's a really old reference. The section right back here, that's kind of maybe the section. So, But where did he come from? Where did he go? We don't need to know. We don't need to be so worried about those things. What we do need to be worried about is that he was given to us as a picture of the type of priest that we needed. And so let's look further at how Jesus identifies with Melchizedek. Verse 16 says, who did not become a priest based on a legal regulation? If we read earlier, it's basically like there has never been a priest from the tribe of Judah. We know Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. So it wasn't a legal thing based upon his physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. That phrase right there is going to carry so much meaning for us throughout the rest of today's sermon. But this idea that Jesus has the indestructible life. And you're like, well, yeah, but he died. Yeah, Jesus came to this earth on his own free will, on his own volition. God sent him and he came. Then Jesus lived for 33 years. And then at the time that God appointed, Jesus went to the cross. Jesus died. He went into the grave, but he did not stay in the grave. Jesus came up from the grave three days later, and he lives the indestructible life. And we needed a priest like this because the priests under the law, they were weak. They did die. And as we, as we read here in verse uh, 19, it says, for the law perfected nothing. The law had its purpose. The law has its purpose. It has its function in our lives. 
It makes us aware of our sin. It makes us aware of our inability to tip the scales right with God. But the law has no power to perfect you. And here's the thing. None of us in this room would ever be even able at all to come close to keeping the law. Jesus was also the high priest that was promised with an oath. Verse 20, it says, None of this happened without an oath, for others became priests without an oath. But he became a priest with an oath or a promise made by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. God has made the promise that a priest was coming, a new type of priest, and he would be a priest forever. And then verse 19, I skipped over this earlier, but it says that Jesus was a priest that a better hope is introduced through. And through this better hope, we draw near to God. It's through the indestructible life of Jesus, the greater and better high priest that we draw near to him. I don't know, I feel like I always talk about TVs when I preach, but growing up, my grandparents had a really cool TV. It was like a big screen. I know all people have big screens all the time now, but when I grew up in the 80s and 90s, probably mainly the 90s, not many people had big TVs. And so my grandparents, they'd worked a good long while. My grandpa was uh, kind of a tightwad, except when he wanted something, then he would go buy it. So you're like, he wouldn't have money to buy you a popsicle, but then he'd go buy a huge TV. And I guess it's his money, and he can buy what he wants with it. So, uh, And so they had this huge TV. I remember going over to my grandparents as kids, and we spent a lot of time with our extended family, and just like, oh, that's so awesome. What well, was even more awesome in seventh grade I, had, I have four brothers, so I grew up in a house of seven. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. So we got a lot of hand-me-downs, right? Uh, now, luckily, I was one of the older kids, so I was the one handing my clothes down. But from my grandparents, we got the hand-me-down of this giant TV. I, would, I just thought, wow, we're like the coolest people now because we've got this giant TV. It was probably pretty old when we got it, but I didn't know that. I was in seventh grade. And we kept that TV for a long time. I was asking my wife this morning if she remembered it, and she did not. So I guess she didn't have the blessing of ever seeing this TV. But the TV eventually started to transition or started to morph itself into something even more cool because it kind of split its picture into three different colors, right? We ended up calling it TriVision. That's not the brand. But eventually something started happening with the projection mechanism. And when you would watch it, there was like, a wave, and there was like three different colors in there. And even though that happened, we kept that TV for a long time that way. Part of it was because maybe we didn't have money for a new one, but also I think part of it was you kind of got used to it. Things kind of popped to life. It was like the beginning of 3D TV. It's just still one-dimensional and um, two-dimensional and just different colors. We held on to that TV for a long time. I think maybe that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get at here. 
So he's writing this letter to Hebrew people that have converted to the way. They've converted to follow Jesus. And so there's this big wrestling, all right, we're following Jesus now, but what do we do with all of this stuff that we've learned before then? And I think what, what the writers after with the Hebrews and also think with us is like, let's quit holding on to those things that are not needed anymore. There's nothing wrong with that anymore, but we don't have to do that. We have a new high priest We don't have to go to this man who has to make sacrifice for himself and then make sacrifice for us. No, now, through the sacrifice of Jesus, our sins can be forgiven and we can go directly to God through Jesus. So my question for us is, what are you holding on to that maybe you need to let go of? What's the old tri-vision TV in your life? There you're like, ah, it's not that bad. Kind of enjoy it. May we rid ourselves of the things that distract us from what is the true thing, which is Jesus, our great and high priest. He is the high priest that we needed. The high priest before him was no longer in need, but Jesus is the high priest that we needed. As we're going to see, he's not like any other earthly priest. He is a unique priest with a unique power. And so we're going to look at verses 22 to 28 real fast. And we're going to see just the uniqueness of Jesus as our priest. And so if you're taking some notes, maybe write these things down. All right? The number one thing we see about Jesus in his uniqueness is that Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant. Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant. In verse 22, it says, because of this oath, we're referencing the oath we just talked about, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. So Jesus inaugurated a new covenant. Up until Jesus, we were under an old covenant, and through Jesus, the new covenant, we are made right with God through Jesus. Now, I will say this, the new covenant did not um, diminish the old covenant or did not completely replace it or did not completely just say, do away with, there's nothing beneficial about the old covenant. There are still things that we can learn from, there's still truths that we can apply, and it's still relevant to us, except it's the old covenant. We're not under that anymore. We're under the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And the old covenant, I believe, was God's plan to prepare us for the new covenant. I don't know how you think about God, but I hope it's not like this. Sometimes I think we look at God and like, okay, he put Adam and Eve there. They sin. He's like, oh, I can't believe they did that. Got to clean that up, fix that up. And he's like, I'll just try this old covenant thing. We'll do some animals, sacrifice them, put some priests out there. And it's almost like, we might have this mentality that God's just kind of responding to all our mess-ups. That's not what happened. From the beginning of time, God's plan was Jesus. From the beginning of time, there was going to be an old and a new covenant. From the beginning of time, Jesus was to be the greater and better high priest that we needed. And Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. 
Second thing we see if you're taking notes, Jesus is a priest forever. Jesus is a priest forever. In 23, it says, Now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. Pretty understandable thing. When you die, you can't continue to be a priest. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Jesus' priesthood is held in permanent position because of his eternal nature. He is a priest forever. He will not be replaced. He cannot be uh, taken off of his position. He is in this position forever. Third thing, if you're taking notes, Jesus is able to save completely. Jesus is able to save completely. In verse 25, it's probably one of my favorite verses in today's passage that we're studying. It says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he, is all, since he always lives, it's going back to his eternal nature to intercede for them. If you have an ESV Bible in front of you, the word that's used for completely is the word uttermost. And I think that word maybe even speaks more clearly to this idea of Jesus' salvation and just his ability and how grand and how big his ability is to save us. As I was studying this week, uh, the word that's translated into completely can be translated two ways, either completely or forever. And what scholars say, or at least what one scholar said was, well, there's really no markers. There's no, nothing to identify, help us identify which translation we should use. Should we use completely or should we use forever? And so he said, maybe that was the author's intent that we would apply both meanings to Jesus's ability to save us. He doesn't just save us for today but he saves us both today and forever. Completely, there's nothing that you have to do to earn your salvation. Jesus doesn't like get you to 95% and then you have to do the rest of the work. No, the work of salvation that Jesus accomplished on the cross is complete and it's complete forever. And the fourth thing for us today for taking notes down about Jesus' uniqueness as a priest, is that Jesus is the priest that we needed. Verse 26 says, For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. See, Jesus is the type of priest we need because he's everything that we're not. Earthly priests, we're a lot like we are. But Jesus is innocent. He's holy. He's set apart. And then his very nature in those things, verse 27 
He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those for the people. He did this once for all when he offered himself. Jesus was the high priest we needed in his innocence and his perfection then allowed him to be the sacrifice that we needed. Then lastly, in verse 20, I think we see his power. It says, For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the promise of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son who has been perfected forever. See, the earthly system the earthly priests, they served a purpose. As it says in chapter 8, 5, they were a shadow or a picture of things to come. But ultimately, they're weak and un- unable to do what we needed. Jesus is the unique person with the unique power that you and I need. He's our Savior, He's our Lord, but He's also our priest. He is our way that we access God. Apart from Jesus, not only would our sins not be forgiven, but apart from Jesus, we would have no relationship with the Father. I began this morning, we we began talking about being weary or being tired. I assume that there are people in this room that you're experiencing that. I just want to say this to you. I believe Jesus as your high priest, the one that you can go to, to have have access to God, is the solution for you to have relief from that weariness. I want to speak to two different types of people today that may be weary. The first person, it's probably the smaller group, but it's an important group. And maybe you're here today and you're weary because of sin. I'm not speaking specifically to believers. I'm speaking specifically to people who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've never accessed God through our great high Priest, you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness and for the relationship that we can have with God. And if that's you, the sin that is in your heart and life, it's a burden. Now, maybe you found ways to ignore the burden, maybe you found ways to distract yourself from the burden, but until you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, There is no way for you to ever be from out from under the burden of sin that is in your heart and life. So here in a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And if that's you here today, I would say this. Repent. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Believe. Confess your sins to him and confess that you have no ability within your own self to make yourself right with him 
and receive the gift that our great high priest Jesus has offered, which is his life. There may be others in that category where you're like, yeah, I'm not really trying to ignore my burden. I just know that I've sinned so bad that Jesus couldn't forgive me. There's nothing further from the truth than that. There's no person in this room or outside of this room that what you've done sinfully disqualifies you from receiving grace today. So you may be like, well, I'm going to kind of clean some things up. I'm going to kind of do some things to tip the scales. There's nothing in that system that can bring about what you need. There's no perfection in you doing better. You will fail, and you'll just have that burden of sin still right there haunting you. So during our time of response here in a minute, you can come up front, you can talk to a pastor, you can just you can receive Christ where you're at. We'd love to know about it. You can communicate that to us through a Connect card. But there's a second group of people I want to talk to. I think this is the bigger group of people in the room. It's believers, and you're weary or tired because you've added things on top of the gospel. Most of us, we probably haven't even realized that we've done it. But I think there is a propensity within the life of believers that Satan likes to have us believe half-truths or things that are almost true. And then we start adding things on top of the gospel that Jesus never intended for us to believe. So we believe things like, man, I didn't read my Bible today. God probably doesn't love me as much as he did yesterday when I read it for 20 minutes. Oh man, the church wants me to serve, but you know, I like to do, I like to do this, you know, and I just uh, hunting season and and so I know it makes me less of a Christian, but I'm just not going to do that. Listen, anytime we add anything on top of the gospel that you have to do in order for God to love you, those things are false and wrong. God's love for me, God's love for you is not based upon what you do. It's not based upon your character. It's not based upon your choices. God's love for you is based upon his character. And he is unchanging. And so for the believers in the room that maybe you're burdened because you've just been playing this game of legalism and you've been adding things onto you and even more so you've been adding things onto other people, Listen, we are living in an age of grace, and yes, we should serve. Yes, we should delightfully read our Bible, and we should tell people about the gospel, but those things are not requirements to receive God's love. We receive God's love just by receiving it. It is here for us. And so for the persons in this room that you have added things my call for you to be, would just come to this altar today. Tell God you're sorry for adding things to his gospel that he didn't put there. 
But don't spend a lot of time beating yourself up because that's probably what you're prone to do. Spend time basking in God's love for you. As I was preparing for the sermon, one of the things that stuck out to me the most, thinking about being tired, was just the endless grind of the religious system of the day. That you're always having to get animals. You're always having to make sacrifices and atonement. And there was always work to be done. You're always just going and going and going. And I can imagine that was a weary system, right? Here comes Jesus on the scene. And Jesus said a lot of things. But I think these words right here might have spoke a lot to the people that were weary in the religious system I hope they speak to all of us today, whether you're weary from the burden of your sin and you need to repent, or maybe you're weary because you've been adding things on top of the gospel. This is what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And that's the invitation today. Come unto Jesus, our great and better high priest. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful that your love for me as your child isn't dictated by what I do. God, your love for me is dictated upon who you are. God, for the people in the room that are weary, God, maybe they're at the end of their rope. Pray you would give them rest. Pray they would hear your words today and they would come unto you. God, for the person in this room who knows you not, they have never put their faith and trust in you and maybe they've tried to ignore the burden of their sin or maybe they're still trying to make an atonement for it. God, whatever reason, I pray that today would be a day of salvation for that man, for that woman, for that teenager, for that child. That lives will be changed today because Jesus, you are our greater and better high priest. You are the priest that we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.